Hello. Today we're talking about three of the most emotive words in the white South African lexicon, expropriation without compensation. You're listening to The Commute, the show that downloads the big ideas into your head while you're on your way to work. I'm Jessica Van Anselen. Give back the land is an increasingly common refrain in South Africa. And it's not just a reference to the magical Grammy award-winning 1965 song by Miriam Makeba and Harry Belafonte of the same name. (sighs) Love that song. No, Give Back the Land is a rallying cry for change. In my occasional visit to the violent hellscape known as Twitter, I even see people sometimes signing off their tweets with it, as in, Hey FNB, I can't seem to access my online banking. Can you please get a technician to call me? Thanks, and please give back the land. And then there are the talk shows. Holy hell, those talk shows. I don't care. I don't care. At this point in time, white feelings, white opinions exactly. don't matter don't to me. Care. Because right. I need the land. Exactly. I need the land. And it all came to a head in February this year when Parliament adopted a motion to begin a process to look at changing Section 25 of our Constitution to allow for expropriation without compensation. Everyone presumes that we know what Section 25 says, but I didn't, so I went and looked it up. Section 25 of the Bill of Rights is titled Property. Here it is in front of me in a nice PDF. So that's the first thing I notice as an ordinary person. It's not called land. Section 25 is called property. Section 4B even helpfully explains, for the purposes of this section, property is not limited to land. So the section on property is about a page long with nine different points. It's too long to quote in full here, but the nine points lay out the circumstances and conditions in which property may be expropriated, and the push to restore equitable access to land and equitable redress. The word equitable comes up a lot, rightly, and directly talks about the 1913 Land Act, which stripped black Africans of their property, assets, homes, and land. Exactly which parts of Section 25 the ANC and the EFF, who sponsored the motion, want to modify, I'm not sure, or what their arguments are for why it needs to be changed. Now that the motion has passed, the matter is referred to a body called the Constitutional Review Committee, which must report back to Parliament by August the 30th with its recommendations. And then, hopefully, this will all become more clear. In the meantime, a lot of us are trying to work out what's rhetoric, what's white denial, ahistoricism, what's land, what's property, what's fact and what it all means. It seems to me that when it comes to land reform in South Africa and the need to fix the mess that we find ourselves in, then you have one of two fantasies. Fantasy one is the total collapse of the economy as land is handed out to politically connected cronies, food production crumbles, we're plunged first into food crises and later starvation as we can no longer even bake our own bread, the middle class both black and white all flee to Botswana or Lusaka or Perth, and we are all crazier, poorer, and more miserable than we've ever been before. Fantasy two is that land is handed out to those who were stripped of their property under the 1913 Land Act. Black farmers work the land successfully and with skill, feed their families, buy cattle and livestock, develop an asset base, have collateral, send their kids and grandkids to school, grow wealth, reduce poverty, a meaningful blow is at last struck against racial inequality, and we're all happier and richer than we've ever been before. 
So politically, it feels like it's all about Fantasy 1 or Fantasy 2. And both Fantasy 1 and Fantasy 2 seem to involve a lot of screeching about how the other person's fantasy is ridiculous and your fantasy is deeply rooted in rightness and is the most sensible and you should win the Nobel Prize for Best Fantasy. Then in contrast, on the SABC News or radio interviews, they've always got these super rational po-faced lawyers on. And they're always talking about the technical and procedural stuff, how difficult it is to change this constitution, how this consultation feeds into this mechanism equals that process, blah, 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 blah. It's all quite difficult to make sense of. So giving back the land indeed. But then the next question is surely to whom? Where does the passionate cry of give back the land, which is really sexy, meet the admin of actual governance, which is kind of less sexy? To answer my questions, I was lucky enough to get some time with Professor Ruth Hall. So let me tell you a bit about her. Ruth Hall holds a DPhil in politics from the University of Oxford, and she currently works at the Institute for Poverty, Land and Agrarian Studies, also known as PLAS. PLAS was founded in 1995 as a specialist unit in the School of Government at the University of the Western Cape. Since then, the Institute has a proven track record of undertaking really groundbreaking research on rural and urban poverty and inequality, land and agrarian reform. Until recently, Prof Hall's work at PLAS focused on research and policy advice on land. But in recent years, her focus has extended beyond South African land and agrarian policy to incorporate a more international perspective. Her main research now is on land rights and the future of food and farming in sub-Saharan Africa. And needless to say, since the decision was taken to consult on changing the constitution for expropriation without compensation, her phone has been ringing off the hook, as you'll hear during the interview. Professor Ruth Hall, welcome to The Commute. Thank you so much. I think we can presume that most listeners of this podcast are very aware that South African property ownership and land ownership is still really racially skewed. I mean, the word skewed probably doesn't even quite capture the injustice of the distortion. But what would you say is the genesis of the status quo? You know, what's the genesis, what's the origin is centuries of um of colonial conquest, apartheid, um, and in in some respects, genocide. You know, we've had such a massive process of forced removal of people off the land. Um, and my view is that right now we're sitting with a situation where a lot of people are really angry about the past, really, really angry about the past, and feeling that um, a slow, compromised, negotiated approach to dealing with this past is actually not enough. So we're going to have to come up with a new plan. And the question is, what is that new plan? Uh, my view is that government doesn't quite know what that new plan is. So let's just take a step back. We're talking about new plans, but let's just go back to 1994. The ANC comes into government. Um, they obviously want to set about trying to change uh, historical land patterns. What, what did they undertake to try and change that? And, and have they succeeded? Well, in 1994, what the ANC said when it came into power was we will transfer 30% of white-owned commercial farmland within the first five years. Wow. And then okay. we, we will carry on from there. So five, uh, 30% within the first five years. Wow. But we're now sitting uh, 24 years later and actually only about 8% of white-owned commercial farmland has been transferred. And 
it's important to bear in mind that when the ANC was coming up with these plans in the early 1990s, it was being influenced and its thinking was being shaped by the World Bank. And the World Bank came into South Africa in the early 1990s as a policy advisor and said to the ANC, why don't you deregulate agriculture? Let's take away all those subsidies that supported white farmers over all these years and let's promote a land reform process. So we had a, a contradiction in a sense, which is a program of taking away the support that had created a white uh, commercial farming class. Uh, at the same time as promoting uh, new black farmers who then got land but without the support to use it uh, and then were expected to compete with white farmers. So I think that that is the contradiction that we're sitting with. We're still sitting with, um, in a sense, the failures of the thinking of the 1990s. Okay, so the World Bank said let's deregulate everything and is that deregulation still in place? People aren't looking at revisiting that or trying to put more subsidies back in place? Well, it's a slightly complicated story. Um, the, the subsidies that were removed were production subsidies, export subsidies, uh, transport subsidies. There was the trade protection, a lot of these systems of support that enabled white commercial farmers to succeed uh, basically from the 1940s up to the 1980s or 90s, all of these systems have been dismantled. Um, and so it means that commercial farmers are having to struggle on their own in the market. But it also means that uh, new black farmers who are entering into the market are entering into it without, of the, without these systems of support. There has been increased support for black emerging farmers. And we've actually looked at this. And what we found is a very disturbing pattern, which is it's not so much a problem that there isn't enough money, but there's some money being allocated to black farming, but that actually it's being allocated very badly. So 0.1% of black farmers are getting access to grants and loans. It means that most people are getting nothing. So there's a very poor misallocation of funds. So our broader view is that uh, it's not only – there is the question of how much money and support is government putting into this program, but also are we just misallocating the funds and giving a lot of the funds to a few people and leaving most people with nothing? I mean, what you're saying starts to tie into a theme that we've been hearing a lot about in the last couple of weeks, which is that perhaps land reform hasn't been as effective over the last 20 years as it really could have, could have been. I mean, this is clearly what you're saying as well. The subsidies are one issue, this allocation of funds. What are some of the other big obstacles that are preventing land reform happening at the pace it needs to happen to bring some sort of justice back into the system? I think that actually um, one way in which we could rethink land reform as a whole concept is to move away from the question of how do we get the land and to focus instead on who wants the land. Mm. Who, who wants the land? Who are the people at a local level who are wanting land? And what land do they want? And what do they want it for? Um, you know, uh, the high-level panel that was appointed by Parliament and was chaired by former President Kalemo Motlante, which reported last year, um, 
proposed a national land reform framework bill. And what it said is, you know, Section 25 of the Constitution already says that there must be equitable access to land. But what is equitable access? If I'm a poor person and I want access to land, should I not be able to hold up my hand and say to the state, to a municipality, to a national government department, I have a land need. Are you going to meet that need? So I think that perhaps what we need to do is to democratize the debate about land and to enable at a local level, at a district level, within the municipalities, for people to be able to say, here's our demand for land, and we actually have a plan, we have a vision for how land should be redistributed in this area. So I think that, uh, firstly, it's a big mistake to say that a land question is only an urban question, uh, is, sorry, is only an, uh, a rural, rural question. question. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, you know, six, more than 60% of our population is urbanized and there's an enormous demand for land, both in the sort of inner cities, but also in the peri-urban areas. Uh, what we find from our research is that we're looking at a massive dispossession and forced removals off of commercial farms. And a lot of those evicted farm workers are ending up in informal settlements around small rural towns. And what they're wanting, they don't, they, they have very few options and slim possibilities of getting jobs in those, in those towns. What they want are small holdings mm. around the towns. So I think that we need to open up our thinking. Well, let's open up our thinking. Let's think about what would happen if we subdivided farms. What would happen if we spatially focused on particular land for particular people. And I think that our government up to now simply hasn't had a plan. Uh, but I think that this debate about expropriation without compensation, my view personally is that um, the Constitution already provides for expropriation. It already says that compensation must be just and equitable, which could be zero compensation. So I think that it's wrong to blame the Constitution. The question is, um, why has the state chosen not to use these powers? And if the, if the state had a plan, what could it do? And I think that now we're opening up, up a debate across society where people are saying, okay, what would it look like? What would a land reform look like? How would it change our cities? How would it change our rural areas? And I think that that's actually quite a constructive debate. Mm. It's, it also seems a more humanist approach. If you're saying let's reframe the debate in terms of demand, who needs land to live a better life, who needs land to have a bit more stability and who actually wants to farm or live, etc., as opposed to it's all about controlling the supply of land. I also think that would root the debate a lot more in, in sort of facts and reality, right? If you were sort of almost taking a land census um, based on demand rather than supply. Well, I think that this question of demand and supply is important. Uh, the former minister, uh, Gugilian Quinti, suggested that there should be a, a, a land ceiling. In other words, there should be a limit on how much land any one individual or institution could own. And my view is, well, that worked fairly well in Asia, uh, where you had tenant farmers. But actually, is it going to help here? I'm not sure. Um, my view is that uh, the problem is not so much the supply of land, the problem is the demand. And that is why 
uh, I think that the expropriation without compensation question, a lot of people assume that it will speed up land reform. Actually, of course, expropriation without compensation is going to slow down land reform. It's going to slow it down because every single case will be held up in court, at least for the first few years, until we get good jurisprudence, mm. and we get good test cases that can provide a precedent. So for now, for the next few years, expropriation without compensation will slow down land reform. Could it speed it up in the future? Yes, possibly. I mean, everything I read or, or try to understand about the land debate at the moment seems to point, that, point to this gap between the political rhetoric and the legal uh, and procedural reality. And it sometimes feels to me like the land debate is almost metaphorical, symbolic, um, uh, even metonymical on some level. I mean, do you think that this is a proxy debate in the political sphere? Such a great question. Um, I think that for so many people, the land is not simply a material existence. It is a matter of identity, of history, of belonging it is so profoundly uh, a thing that shapes who we are. Um, and so I think that as South Africans, it's very hard for us to really debate this in a rational economic sense because we are so embodied within this question of land. And I want to say that it's not just a question of those who've been dispossessed. And, of course, the majority of our population has been dispossessed of land. Mm. But actually, quite a lot of our population has benefited and has acquired white privilege as a result of land dispossession. Uh, and a lot of white South Africans have acquired white privilege, and that white privilege has moved into the land and then out of the land and then moved into residential property, moved into the JSC, has moved, etc. And, uh, and we now think that we don't, we're not involved with the land question. Well, actually we are because our privilege derives from that. Mm. I mean, I, I think just about what I want to do with, with land or property in inverted commas, I mean, by which I mean a modest flat I had in Linden, you know, I, I wanted somewhere that I could call my own, I wanted um, collateral. I wanted something I could sell if I needed it. I want something somewhere I could live when I'm old. Um, and just to think that, you know, huge sways, if not the vast majority of South, the South African population doesn't have something that so many white South Africans see as a completely reasonable aspiration. I think it's it's got to be an act of empathy to ask people to understand what it is, not only not to have that, but to have been stripped of that for generations and generations. I think it's such a profound question. Um, you know, the recent book that was uh, published by advocate Tembeka Ngulka Tobi, oh, The yeah. Land is Ours, mm. he, he talks about the 1913 Natives Land Act and he talks about how people were stripped of their land but also they lost their livestock. Mm. They lost their assets and that loss of assets continued for generations uh, and, of course, after generations, it also means that you weren't able to invest in education. That means that your your children and your grandchildren weren't able to accumulate wealth, you know. So, 
in many ways, this question of land comes down to the very poignant question, which is about the inequality uh, within our society. Um, and it's not going to be easily solved. Just giving the land back by itself, we've seen, has, is actually not sufficient. Um, we've seen that where people are claiming back land, they get the land, but then they get nothing else. It, it's actually not enough. Um, and so we're going to have to think about ways in which to redistribute wealth and land in South Africa in a much more meaningful way. I think it's quite uh, an important and uh, hopeful moment that South Africans are actually talking about this right now. So, Ruth, if you were president for a day, all right, let's be fair, let's make you president for 10 years, um, what would you do to change ownership patterns and restore people's dignity? Firstly, I wouldn't change the Constitution. I think the Constitution provides all the provisions that we need. Secondly, what I would do is uh, tell every single district municipality Talk to your popula uh, to to your population and engage with them, and talk to them about what land they want, uh, and then come up with a, a land reform plan within your area. My view is that actually, and based on the data that we have, the evidence that we have, the huge demand is for land within uh, within about five kilometres of the cities and the towns around the country. People are desperately wanting access to land, to small to small holdings. And I think that it's been a big mistake that our government has been buying up big commercial farms and then asking poor people to run big commercial farms and then blaming them for the when they fail. And so I think that what we should be doing rather is engaging with people and saying, what land do you want? Why do you want it? Where is that land? And then let's acquire it. Let's acquire it. And in a sense, it doesn't really matter whether we buy it, whether we get it through the open market or expropriating it, whether we pay compensation or not. The question is, what land needs to be acquired to meet particular needs? Uh, and, and we actually haven't answered that question. I wanted to just ask a slightly technical question. So for the average Joe in the street, why? how did we get to this final idea of expropriation without compensation specifically? In the 1990s, uh, there was a big debate about whether or not property rights should be protected within the Constitution. And there was ultimately an agreement that there should be partial recognition of property rights, but there should also be a mandate for transformation. And so what we have in Section 25 of the Constitution, which I think is actually a very powerful and interesting uh, section of our Constitution, it's part of our Bill of Rights, it says uh, that nobody can be arbitrarily deprived of property rights, but then it goes on to say there can be expropriation. Expropriation needs to be compensated, but not at market price. Um, it can be discussed. Uh, it says there must be redistribution, there must be restitution. Uh, for those people who've had weak tenure rights, like people on uh, in informal settlements, uh, on commercial farms, and in, uh, in communal areas, there should be tenure reform. So I, I think that actually our constitution provides a very strong mandate 
for transformation. But our state has chosen not to use those powers. And so I think that the, the big question is a political one. It's a political question. Why has our state chosen not to use its existing powers to expropriate land? Let's also remember that expropriation is just a mechanism to get the land. There's a second question, which is about how to redistribute it. And my concern is that based on research that I've done and that some of my colleagues have done, we are concerned that actually even where the state gets land and redistributes it, it is giving that land to big corporations. It's actually not redistributing to people who are in the greatest need. Um, and Section 25.5 of the Constitution, part of the property clause, says there should be equitable ac uh, access to land. Well, what is equitable access? Surely it means that those people who are in the greatest need should get highest priority. Uh, and yet we don't see that. Uh, so I think that there's a big question to be asked, not just about how we get the land, but how we redistribute it and who sh whose interests should be served. That's a brilliant point. So sort of not getting too um, excessively focused on the mechanism, but the mechanism to what end? What do we do with this once we have it? Which, which is exactly the right question. So let's just do a little thought experiment. Um, this passes the Constitution. Section 25 of the Constitution is changed. Uh, expropriation without compensation is now possible. I mean, what happens? What, what effect would this have on the South African economy? Would everything be better? <laughs> Firstly, I don't think that it's necessarily the case that the Constitution will be changed. Uh, I think that uh, the agreement in Parliament in February to appoint a Constitutional Review Committee to look into reviewing the property clause, uh, it was an open question uh, whether or not that review committee would actually suggest reviewing the Constitution. Uh, my own view is that the ANC and the EFF actually have different perspectives on this question and that the EFF perspective is that there should be expropriation without compensation across the board. And the, A and the ANC view is that uh, expropriation without compensation should be one among the options available to the state. So in some contexts, uh, there should be compensation in other contexts, not. Um, and so my view is that actually, it's quite unlikely, it's going to be very interesting between now and August 2018, to look at this constitutional review process. Uh, my view is that it's very unlikely that the ANC and the EFF are ever going to agree again, and are going to vote together. Uh, on reviewing the constitution. It has been amazing to see how the EFF has just led the ANC by the nose on this debate. They just seem to completely dominate the conversation and um, and almost seem to be adopting the role of the majority party in driving this particular piece of reform or proposed reform. I find it quite hard, actually, to understand what the EFF position on land is. Uh, the reason... Why I say that is that uh, they're very clear on expropriation without compensation. They never talk about who should get the land. They never talk about how the land should be held, what tenure system there should be. Um, 
who should get land for what. So my view is that they actually skirt the most important questions and they've only focused on the question of how to get the land. Uh, I think that it's it's very likely that um, the land issue is going to be one of the many questions that will be highlighted in the run-up to uh, elections in 2019. And I think that the ANC hasn't been very clear. I think that the ANC has now been put a little bit onto the back foot. Remember, of course, um, the EFF has said two things uh, in terms of their, um, their primary selling points. And the one is get rid of Jacob Zuma and expropriate land without compensation. And the ANC has just done both. And so I think it's quite an interesting political moment where we have an opening up. The ANC is now having to do something about land. Uh, and the EFF, having argued for expropriation without compensation and without having a particular plan, may have lost some, some space to the ANC. So I think it's an open space. Let's watch this. <laughs> Just as a final question, are there any resources that you would recommend to listeners if they want to learn more about the land debate? Um, the, the new book, The Land is Ours, I would definitely recommend. I'm reading it at the moment and it's completely intriguing. Um, anything else that you think people should take a look at? Okay, there are a few. Um, firstly, there is a new book called Untitled. And the book is published by, I think it's the University of KwaZulu-Natal, UKZN. Um, and it talks about the fact that actually property rights in South Africa only protect a very small proportion of our population. Most people in South Africa live outside of this privately um, titled system. And so this book, Untitled, is very interesting. So have a look for that. Secondly, there is a book called uh, Land Divided, Land Restored, which is a book that we brought out um, I think it was in 2015, um, and we were looking at the various elements of the land debate. Uh, so I think that there are quite a lot of resources that are available for people who really want to engage. Fantastic. Ruth Hall, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, and it was totally fascinating. Thank you. It's clear that the question of land reform in South Africa is such a rich, full topic that I think I may well do a second podcast on it to talk about all the things we didn't get around to the first time, like who currently owns the land, farmers, municipalities, the banks, or King Goodwill's Wellatini's Ingonyuama Trust in KwaZulu-Natal, which stands to lose an awful lot if expropriation without compensation becomes law. Let me know your thoughts by emailing me at the commuteessay at gmail.com. That's the commuteessay at gmail.com. The next episode of The Commute is titled The Idea of the North Korean Embassy in Pretoria, and it's going to be a goodie. We discuss North Korea, its relationship with Africa, and what exactly the North Korean Embassy in Pretoria gets up to. Subscribe to The Commute to get it first, or visit www.thecommute.co.za.